God's design for a healthy church. And we've discovered 12 uh, characteristics of a healthy church. And we're going to evaluate our church in light of what God says in his words, what a healthy church looks like. And it's going to be an exciting process. And I hope that you'll enjoy it. You're going to find that we're doing a lot of things right at Cash High. Some things that we're okay, some things need to change, but we'll, we'll present that to you and you'll make decisions from there. Last week we looked at the uh, the uh, glory of the Lord or Ichabod and I said that the choice is ours. God gives us that choice to make and it compared and contrasted two situations in Israel's history. The glory of uh, the Lord descending on the tabernacle. A cloud of fire, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. And Moses, when the Jews left Egypt and they made their way to Sinai, fifty days after the Passover, Moses received the law, and God was very detailed and specific to Moses and told him what he wanted. He wanted to tabernacle with his people, that he'd be among them, and that the tabernacle had very specific designs. And that the priests that were going to offer the sacrifice and were to be clothed in a very uh, detailed way. And the furnishings of the tabern- tabernacle were to be constructed in certain, with great detail. And by faith, obedience, and honoring God, Moses and the men that constructed the tabernacle and the priest, Aaron and his sons who became priests, honored God and obeyed God by faith. And God dwelt among them. So much so that the glory filled the tabernacle and Moses couldn't even go in. I want to contrast that to another story in Israel's history about Eli, who was one of the last judges. Samuel was the last judge, but Eli was a judge. And he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We talked about them and how they um, disregarded or had disdain for the things of God. Oh, they were in church or they were in tabernacle. They were priests. But it was just a job for them. They didn't honor God as holy. They had disdain for the things of God. And God had enough of it. And he, through the prophet Samuel, told Hophni and Phinehas, and even Eli for not removing his sons, that they would, that judgment was coming. There was a battle with the Philistines and the Israelites. The Israelites lost the battle. In that battle, Hophni and Phinehas were killed. And the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. Word gets back to Eli and he's told about the battle. His sons are dead and his, uh, and the tabernacle or the, the, uh, Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines. He hears the news, falls back and breaks his neck. While this is all going on, Phineas's wife is having a baby. She's having a difficult time with childbirth and is about to die. And the nurse, the uh, midwife, trying to offer consolation, saying, you've given birth to a son, thinking that that would be a source of joy and consolation to her. But it's not. She names the child Ichabod. And she says, the glory of the Lord has departed, for the Ark of the Covenant is missing. Drastic differences in Israel's history. One, the Israelites obeyed God. They honored God by faith. The others, they held God in light esteem. They disdained his ways. And there was no faith. It was just a job. They were just doing their things. Hophni and Phinehas were guilty of taking the food that was offered 
and they would take the fat that was offered, and then they had the females that were at the door to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They'd have relations with them. They did not honor God. And so what we see is God's glory and blessing is present among his people who by faith honor and obey him. And the challenge that I offered last week to tell you the choice is ours. God in his infinite wisdom gives us volitional choice. We have the choice. And so that's my encouragement to you that we would walk with God and obey him by faith. Now we're going to look at these 12 characteristics over the next seven weeks. And I think that you'll find that God in his word has given us great um, wisdom um, in which we can put these into practice. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so as he's gathering his churches, he's working it, he gives us the instructions how to comport or fit in with that design. And that's encouraging to us. However, there's some problems out there today, and I want you're aware of them. I would just want to highlight them. Uh, there are, th- today is a day of skepticism. Unbelief is common and fashionable. Um, there are doubters and there are adversaries of Christ. We don't need to be reminded of it, but I want to let you know what we're dealing with in our day. One of the things that we're losing a battle in is with our young people, our millennials, sex. I'm going to show you YouTube here in just a minute, but I want you to pay attention because many, some of you are millennials in mosaics. Some of you are parents of millennials in mosaics, and some of you are grandparents of them. And so you need to know what's going on there so we'll be understand the, the problem and we're able to be armed to handle it. You might have noticed that here in America, there's one group that's not nearly as involved or engaged in the church as other age groups, 18 to 29-year-olds. We call this generation the mosaics. And for most churches, this is a demographic black hole. Just how big of a black hole? Get this. 59% of mosaics with a Christian background drop out of church after attending regularly as a teenager. Now, on the surface, this doesn't seem like a new problem. And in some respects, it isn't. People in this age group have left the church in droves for decades, but historically, many come back. If you think that's going to happen with today's generation, think again. Today's young adults are very different from their counterparts of the past. A lot of them are rethinking the major things in life, stuff like whether or not marriage is still necessary, or if the church really matters. What's strange is, the majority of these dropouts actually still consider themselves Christians. They're big fans of Jesus, just not the church. Every mosaic has their own unique reason for leaving the church. But ultimately, they all point their fingers at the Christian community. And what they're saying is, you lost me. Now, hold on. You lost me? Isn't that a little harsh? Well, maybe. But what a person really means when they say that to someone is, you're not making sense to me. Research from our team at Barna shows that millions of mosaics don't feel like they can ask their most pressing life questions in church. So it's no wonder they turn to technology, pop culture, and their peers for answers. With all of the resources on the internet, young people have access to answers to lots of things, important and trivial. And some of the answers seem to make sense. But just because something makes sense, it doesn't mean it's the truth. Naturally, all that conflicting information leads to more questions and more confusion. These wandering souls are viewing the world through a distorted lens. They need the wisdom of the church to help them see things through the lens of faith. But they can't even see that. 
What we need is real dialogue and real answers to the questions that all too often just get swept under the rug. It means we stop ignoring the elephant in the room, roll up our sleeves, and seriously address the tough questions about science, sexuality, culture, and lifestyle. Let's be careful not to judge them too quickly and give our young Christians the tools they need to cope with the modern world. We need to teach them to be discerning in today's culture, to be influential among their peers as followers of Christ. Today's changing world is a tough place to live faithfully as a Christian at any age. But if we're going to change the world together, we can't afford to let another young person say, you lost me. Some excellent research there by Barna. And they're reliable. They're, they're, they get out there and they get in the weeds and they ask young people, why are they leaving? And so this is some of the results of that. I, I thought you'd get a perspective on it. We also have the issue of uh, every year, 900 Southern Baptist churches close in America. 900. That's a scary number. Whether it's dysfunction or... Um, uh, just being a dying church, that does not give glory to God. Also, there is spiritual warfare. Cosmic conflict is going on. We're just part of it. And sometimes we're unaware. Sometimes we're unaware. All of these things together indicate signs of an unhealthy church. And we need to be aware of it, be equipped to be a healthy church. And we see some of these problems. Fortunately... There are some solutions out there. There's many solutions out there. Thanks be to God. He's given us his word to give us these solutions. You know, when we talk about spiritual warfare, the awareness is half the battle. Um, We're given the armor of God to be involved in and taking part of spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, you're... uh, Put on the full armor of God. We wrestle not with uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so spiritual warfare is going on. And then in that same chapter, he tells us what, how we're to be equipped to fight spiritual warfare. Also, prayer is a great what It's our greatest weapon that we have. Prayer uh, changes things. Prayer is our most vital weapon. If if you've noticed our Wednesday night time and what I'm encouraging you with the monthly uh, uh, Baptist Cares newsletters, that we're trying to be a praying church. Because if we're not a praying church, we're going to be a powerless church and we're going to be susceptible to the schemes of the devil. So we're to be a praying church. Let me encourage you to be a part of that Wednesday night Bible study and prayer time. We're, we're, we're learning much about prayer and we're praying. We're praying. We're relying on God to protect us in these spiritual battles, the spiritual warfare. And then perseverance. We're gonna pray without ceasing. We're gonna pray continually. And that's what we're about as a church. We don't give up. I like Winston Churchill when he went to Harrow and he gave this uh, brief speech. He says, Never give in, never, never, never. And that's the way we as a church should be praying, never giving in to the schemes of Satan. Then we see God's provision in the gospel, his glorious gospel, his 
uh, he, he, he's pardoned us. We've been forgiven when we're in spiritual warfare that we realize that God has pardoned us. He's forgiven us. He cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. We're reconciled to a holy God and we can enjoy relationship with him as was originally intended. Part of this is he gives us his Holy Spirit, his paraclete, his, his comforter, his um, advocate that he gives us to be with us, go through life. He, where do we get wisdom from? Not from ourselves, but from God. From the very word of God and from the very spirit of God. And then he's given us the church. We're to function with one another. He's given us the church as a provision to deal with the, the situations in our day. Now, when, when, when I say uh, church, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when I say church? For many, it's this building. But that's not what the church is. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. And that means called out ones. It's an assembly, a spiritual organism of an assembly of the saints called out, redeemed from the penalty, power, and punishment of sin by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's the people. We have a local church here at Kashai Baptist Church and around the world and around the nation there are local congregations. But they make up part of the universal church or the Catholic church with a small c. It's the global church. Do you know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus in other towns, other states, other countries, other continents? And we're going to spend eternity with them. They're part of the universal church. So with this in mind, um, the little children's uh, display that we do, you know what? You go, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see no people. And then you take your fingers around and go, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. That's fun. It's good. You can, you can use that next time with the kids. <laughs> but, is that accurate? What I just told you, is that accurate? How about this? Here's the church building. Here's the church steeple. Open the doors and see the church. That's accurate. We're the church. You and I are the church. It's not about buildings. It's about the people that God has redeemed. There's people meeting in house churches, storefronts, every under a, a tree. And they're the church. They don't have to have a building to that. God's not so much concerned about the church building as he is about us being the church. And so that that's informant. I hope that helps you to understand what the church is. Here are some facts about the church. Do you know the church at one time was a mystery? In the Old Testament, they didn't understand that the Jew and Gentile would be reconciled to a holy God. And God was going to do that through his church. That was a mystery in Ephesians. And Christ purchased us with his own blood. By the blood of the Lamb, we're purchased. So if he's purchased us, he has every right to make claims to us. And then we see Christ is ahead, and we are the body illustrations of that also in Ephesians. Ephesians is a great book on church and church life. We, we're going to be referring to that throughout this time. So, But it's great to see how the instructions are there for us. And if Christ is the head, 
We're to follow and obey. Now, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts here shortly. And in it, we see God's design for a healthy church. And it's a great passage we're going to read. It's going to become a template for us that we're going to work from. But as we go into the book of Acts, let me just tell you that it's written by my favorite historian, Dr. Luke. And Luke is a great historian, world-class historian, as I shared with you in previous messages. But Dr. Luke is now chronicling, he gave us his gospel, the accounts of the life of Jesus, and then in the book of Acts, now he's chronicling the early church and the development of the church. He approaches it as a historian, but also emphasizes the important points God wants us to do. But in this process, there's a transition going on, isn't there? There's a transition going on from the church being predominantly Jewish, a sect of Judaism called the Way, to now they're going to be called distinctively Christians. They were called first called Christians at Antioch. And so there's a transition going on. So we have to understand that nature of it. And so because of this transitional nature and God establishing his church, God does some things that he's not going to do in other churches established around the Mediterranean there. We're going to see things that are normative and non-normative. And so we're going to learn from that and be careful how we interpret things. So I, I point that out to you. The book of Acts is very helpful. Now let's turn and read this account in Acts 2. Please follow with me if you would. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see God's design for a healthy church enumerated here. And I'm going to illustrate that for you. And Colby, if you give me a hand here with this, this is, oh my gosh, size. All right, I'm going to use this as an illustration um, throughout the seven sessions that we have. Can you see that okay? Can you see that okay? It's a wheel and these 12 characteristics of a healthy church. We're going to discuss each of these in detail through the seven weeks. And I'll expound on that here in a little bit. Now, if you can't see them, I tried to make it so... Those in the back can see it, but if you can't, these are what's here. We see worship right here in the center, and then we're going to go around leadership, evangelism, teaching, fellowship, ordinances, prayer, giving, membership, discipline, discipleship, and mission. So those are 12 things we're going to look at. And if you notice, they're color-coded. And so what we'll do is next week, we're going to look at leadership and evangelism uh, together. Then we're going to look at teaching and fellowship, ordinance, prayers, and giving. So those will be each one week at a time, so you see that we're going to make a distinction there. 
So that's helpful, I hope. Today we're going to focus on worship. And if you notice from our passage, it said that they were praising God continually. But I put that in the center because it's such a primary function of the church. Worship is such a primary function of the church. But worship will touch every one of these other characteristics. When you exercise your um, leadership in the church as a deacon, you're worshiping God. As a teacher, you're teaching the little ones. You're exercising worship of the true and living God. Whenever we pray, that is worship to God. Whenever we do discipleship, that is worship to God. So that's that becomes a primary. And we're going to focus on worship. Now, true worship, here's a good definition of what true worship is. It says, true worship is constant inner praise to the God of Scripture expressed in prayer, song, service, teaching, giving, and godly living. It's just who we are. It exudes out of us. We need to be worshipers of God. Now, it comes from the old English word, worth-ship or worthiness. Now, when the word worthy was used or worth uh, ship, it was um, in, con- connoting importance or value. So when you worship something, it was something very important or someone very important. So that's where we get that word. We're ascribing worth to them. Now we look at the scriptures and worship is all over the scriptures. Uh, the word worship appears 172 times in the King James Version. Praise uh, 216 times. Sacrifice 205 times. And there's other words that are along that that we can go on. But we were made to worship God. We were created to worship God. I like what our uh, Presbyterian friends in their shorter catechism said. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's a compilation of, of all that the Bible teaches. And they say, what's our chief What's our chief end? What is this all about? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We look at Psalm 29, verse 2. I use this as a call to worship. It's a beautiful one. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The Psalms, as we're going through, just is replete with worship. But I like this. is Romans 12, 1. It says, I urge you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your service of worship. Worship is not cheap. It's not just words. It's not just the songs we sing, but it's our total being. Worship comes with a cost. Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just words. Jesus said that worship is costly. Discipleship is costly. And we're to count the cost. I like what David said when he was offering a sacrifice once. And he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And we think we could just give God a little time and a little tip of the hat. And I put my hour in at church and I'm okay with that. That's not what he wants. He wants 
relationship with us. He wants us to be one with him in intimacy and in relationship to him. True worship will cost you. It will cost you time, treasure, comfort, ease, reputation, friends, and a hundred other things we might want. But these pale in comparison to the infinite worth and the infinite value of knowing God personally and intimately. He desires that. That our worship is not only here among the church, but now it's going to continue as we leave this place. And tomorrow morning you're going to wake up, you're going to stumble to the coffee pot, you're going to get your coffee, you're going to sit down, you're going to have your time with God, and you're going to read his love letter to you, and you're going to talk to the one that loves you more than anything. And you're going to tell him you love him. You worship him because he is worthy. True worship is costly. But we can be true worshipers of God because of what he's done for us. He's the one that paid the price for our redemption. He's the one who counted the cost of our sin and paid it. We're able to be worshipers of God because of what he did. Remember, we're the called out ones. We're redeemed from the marketplace of sin, never to return again, because he purchased us. He pardoned us. He took us out of it. So the choice is yours. Are you going to worship God? Are you going to be a worshiper of God? Are we going to be a church that worships God, not only in Word, but in deed and in being, that we're going to be one with the Father. We're going to be united with him in Christ. That's the challenge for us. And that when true worship takes place, it exudes from here to our community, to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria. And that's what we're going to be talking about these next several weeks when we see how worship now will impact every one of these aspects and we move towards healthy church. You know we have a sweet spirit in this place. You know that our choir sings beautiful songs and enhances our worship of the true and living God. Those are some things we're doing very well. And we're to to be exuberant and be a part of that and to worship God because he is so worth it. But today I've talked about the church and about being called out. Many are called out in this congregation. But a congregation of this size, there are some that just come to church. I'm going to do my church thing, go on, live my life the way I want. That's not what God desires. He desires us to be called out ones. He desires us to trust what he did on Calvary's cross to pay the penalty of our sin. You see, our sin has a cost to it. The wages of our sin is death. And we could not pay that on our own. We're going to be eternally separated from God if someone doesn't pay that debt. Jesus, on the cross, paid that debt with his blood. That's where he purchased us to be his church. That's where he's purchased us to be his. And so when we see what we hear the story of Christ and what he did on the cross, when you believe, when you trust in your heart that Christ did that for you, 
you pass from death to life. You're declared not guilty, paid in full. And it's a simple act of faith and trust in what God's provision was. Anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. Simple faith and trust. Obeying God's word, doing what it says. We're going to close. And for a hymn of invitation, the hymn that we've picked today is Trust and Obey. Are we going to trust God's word for salvation? Are we going to obey him what it says to do? And are we going to trust him by faith to be a healthy church? A church that's stronger, growing in Christ-likeness, that's having an impact in our community here in eastern North Carolina and the world. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want just a little congregation in imploding on itself, becoming dysfunctional. No, he wants you to have an impact around the world. And we're, by God's grace, we'll do that. And we're going to talk about how we can do that, to be a part of that. But it all starts with worship. Honoring and obeying God. And by faith, we're going to trust him and obey him to his glory. There are some that have met with our membership uh, committee this week, and they're going to come forward uh, for membership, and I'll introduce you. But if you are a person and you have not been made right with Christ, and you want to talk about it, I'll be happy to discuss that with you. Or if you have any other decision to make, in our time of invitation, please be willing to come forward. And if, if I cannot help you, we'll have someone that can help you because it's so very important to trust Christ and obey him in this. Thank you. I'd like to introduce to you uh, Braden and Aaron Bennett. They've met with membership, and they have a fantastic, each of them has fantastic testimony of the reality of Christ in their lives, and uh, they have given uh, a great testimony of their God story and what God is doing in their lives. Uh, is there a motion that, and it's, it's our recommendation that they be received. Is there a motion that they be received into the fellowship of Keshi Baptist? Is there a second? All in favor? Aye. Well, Braden and Aaron, I want you to come down. I want you to offer the right hand of fellowship to Braden, and you get the hug from Aaron. She's the notoriously great hugger. So um, it, it's wonderful to have you, and we're just excited what God is doing in your life. Uh, an amazing couple. And we're meeting with some other young couples that is exciting. Some have already met and we'll present them here in a, a couple weeks as well. God is on the move and it's exciting to see. And so be willing to invite friends, family. If they haven't, the church home would love to be that for them. Let me pray for the Bennetts and for God's uh, use of them in, in, our, in our fellowship and in ministry. And uh, I'll dismiss this. Father, we want to thank you that you're an awesome God and that you've told us the way to live. We have problems in life and adversity and yet you've offered solutions. Thanks be to God for the glorious gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God for your Holy Spirit that equips us to, to have wisdom and to strengthen and, and to, to live this way. And thank you for the church of the living God. Thank you for this. Thank you for Braden and Aaron being willing to be a part of your local church here at Kashai to serve you, the true and living God, in whatever capacity you have for them, that they would be 
ambassadors for Christ to us and for us, that we would be a blessing to them and they to us. Now, Father, we thank you for them and we pray your, your continued blessing on their lives. And for the saints here gathered, we, we lift up your holy name. For unto the King eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be power and glory forever. Amen. Come up and visit the Bennetts.